Hey there, green future growers. Thanks for joining us today. If you're new to the show, I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes or your favorite Android app. And let's get growing. But, uh, you know, just like just like garden anywhere, it's it's a constant experiment and you, you learn and you try to take some notes and then be able to find your notes the next year so you can you know not make the same mistake a second time, which uh, I'm not very good at doing is like, always I'm always you know trying to say, all right, yeah, by Valentine's Day, I need to plant my tomatoes. And usually it's about the, the second or third of March that I'm planting them. And then they're always, you know, a couple of weeks from being ready before uh, before it gets too hot in the summertime. So it's. That's from my interview number 162 with Denny Cray, which is a great listen. He talks all about vermiculture. Hey, everyone. So I just want to remind you, this is the most important time to be taking good notes on what's working well, what's not working well, what don't you want to forget. Come next February and March, when it's time to order supplies or do your design, you know, what are your favorite seeds or what do you want to plant more of? Do you want more broccoli? Like you might think I am never going to forget this, but you probably are going to forget it. And um, a great way to support the Green Organic Gardener podcast um, would be to get our garden journal. That's got a beautiful butterfly that I took a picture of on our lilac. So it's like a little part of our home and your home. It's got blank pages and line pages and um, it would really support us a lot. Um, so, but most of all, we want you to have good records. Welcome to the Green Organic Garden Podcast today. It is Friday, July 31st, 2020. It is my birthday and I'm having the best birthday. I'm 53 today and it's just like one thing after the other. And I've been so excited to talk to my amazing guest today because I love her podcast. I have learned so much. I know you guys are going to learn a ton today. She's going to drop golden seeds and I'm going to stop talking and let her be the master. So her podcast is called Salad with a Side of Fries. And she's amazing. You guys are going to love it. And she's a rock star millennial. Welcome to the show, Jen Trepic. Thank you so much. By the way, happy birthday. How did you not tell me before? Because <laughs> uh, we were so busy dealing with the tech that I didn't. I know. And just, uh, I just, uh, it's just been the perfect day. It's so funny because in January, I was writing in my journal and just like all of a sudden I see myself writing 2020, the year I smiled. Now, 2013 was the summer I smiled. I just had this great summer. I was losing weight. I was like singing. I was happy. It was just like a really good summer. And 2020, and then the pandemic hits, and I'm like, oh, this is crazy. And all of a sudden, everything flipped this week, and I am back to, like, 2020 is the year I smiled. And I've been so looking forward to talking to you because I love your podcast. And, like, I have a hard time finding podcasts that I like. And, like, when I binge on something, and then I'm done with it, and I can't find new shows. And I have been hooked on your show since somebody recommended it to me. And then on top of that, there's the Greg connection. So, yeah, I'm supposed to be quiet. (laughs) No, please. First of all, thank you so much. I so appreciate, you know, your feedback and hearing that you enjoy the show because that's what it's about, you know, and I appreciate your engagement so much because it helps us know that we're doing the right things and providing real value. So tremendously grateful for you. Well, I am just like, so curious, like, where do you, you are like this to me, nutrition, scientific genius. Like, you know, so much, your whole thing about the metabolism and how this works is like, I, I, and it's like, it's to me, it's like you go through these studies or something. Like, I don't know how you know everything, you know, but it's just amazing. And the whole protein and fiber at every meal makes losing weight. No big deal. Even though I'm struggling yeah. to figure out what is fiber and what is protein that I can eat, but yeah, you know so it's we'll going to work. About that. 
Um, so my, all of this for me started through my own saga. You know, I can't even call it a journey. I feel like the word journey doesn't do it justice. Like it was a saga of up and down in my weight, you know, and trying to figure this thing out. And in that process, I really, I mean, I try to every diet under the sun. There isn't a thing out there that I haven't done, my family hasn't done, or we don't know somebody who's done it. And then when I learned about the program that I now teach, I was like, no, 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 that's okay. Like I've got my thing, you know, and eventually I got over myself because I saw people's results from following this program. And it is the nutrition education we're all supposed to know and no one ever taught us. And for that, you know, the result of that was that I was able to say I kicked my food issues. And from then on, I was like, I am on a mission to pay it forward and help people help themselves with this information. And how is it possible that this is not what we are taught? And I then read every book I could get my hands on. Now, this was timing-wise like 2007, 2008. And even to this day, I spend a lot of time you know, in workshops and seminars and these days webinars, <laughs> you know, um, learning from doctors and the people who I know to be absolute experts in their various specialties and their fields. And it's funny that you say how much I know. I think I'm a sponge when it comes to this stuff. You know, I'm hearing it. And because I'm not a doctor, I feel like I'm sort of hearing what they're saying as healthcare practitioners and doctors and physicians and translating that into my everyday person's brain, <laughs> right? Which has allowed me to, I think, be able to explain it to people in a really approachable, easy to understand way because that's how my brain Absolutely. works. Like, that is so, what you do. Thank you. That's the goal. Um, and it's funny because I've thought about, people will ask me, and I have thought about it over the years, you know, why aren't you a dietitian? Why aren't you a nutritionist? And I've thought about going to some of these programs. And then I look at the curriculum and I think, I know a lot of this stuff already. And I'm, I'm not saying there isn't something I can learn, right? But it's a big investment to walk out on the other side in exactly the same place I'm sitting right now. Just the for a other, certificate or a piece of paper that says. Exactly. Exactly. And the other and, thing But is, you know your stuff. Like you. Thank you. I, you can tell. I, you're not the first podcast that I've listened to about nutrition and food and things, but you're the first one that's stuck. And why. Does that make sense? I'm sorry. I'm flipping. Yes. I'm, I'm, I have a follow-up question to you, if I may. And I think. You know, why is that? What is it about the other ones that didn't stick? And what's different about this one? I don't know. It's just the way you wrap it all together and you explain it really well. And it's, it makes sense. And I ordered your, the, you know, I took the quiz and ordered the diet thing and it yep. makes sense. And even though I'm struggling with the, 
Like I went through, I finally, like the first thing, the hardest thing for me was like printing it out. I want a printer. This COVID thing is making me want a printer so bad. Cause usually like what I do is I run to my UPS store and it's 15 cents and I'm, while I'm in town, it's super easy. I love my local UPS store, but now where I'm like afraid to go to town after 10 o'clock in the morning, it just makes it much harder for me. And so yeah. I'm like at the point where I'm like, I need my own printer. And so I only finally actually printed the hard copy last week. And I, that's just the way I am. Like I, and so then I went through and like out of the vegetables, which I am a huge vegetable eater. I have, Mike's got this great garden. There's really not that many vegetables that I really eat. Like, and like broccoli, you know, like I labeled them. I'm like, yes, this I have access to all year long. And then there's yep. a lot of M's. Maybe I can get them or maybe only in the summer. And there's like probably out of you have a list of like maybe a hundred vegetables, there's probably only like twelve that I wow. personally either eat or have regular access to or can afford. And and so like there's those struggles. And then I'm trying to figure out the protein piece and and fire. I don't even know what fiber like I feel like such a okay. I'm like, what's fiber? I always no, thought fiber so, was like high fiber cereal brand, you know, green yeah, so and an apple. Been but taught, other than, yeah. Yeah, exactly. We've all been taught that fiber is grain. And grain is actually an inefficient form of fiber. And by that, I mean, in order to get, I'm probably going to fumble these numbers a touch, but it's about one gram of fiber for eight grams of grain. So we have to eat a lot of grain in order to get sufficient fiber. And grain in that quantity spikes our blood sugar and puts us into a fat storage mode. So if we look at our fiber source as vegetables and sometimes fruit, we get a lot more fiber, a lot more nutrients, for you know the quantity of food that we're eating and it doesn't spike our blood sugar and it gives our body everything we need to function or most of what we need to function so think of fiber as vegetables and sometimes fruit okay and then but on the any vegetables of- yeah or- i would stay away from the starchy vegetables like peas corn, um, even some of your like butternut squash, like some of those are more in the starchy vegetable category. But if what you're those eating, are all my favorites. <laughs> right. But the truth is like if if it's those vegetables mixed with some other vegetables and your protein, we're in a really good place. You know, but oh, I will cool. tell you The average American eats more grain than an Olympic athlete is recommended to eat on race day. That's crazy. Crazy. We do eat a lot of grains. Yeah, well, it makes sense because that food pyramid that we grew up with, right, told us that we're supposed to eat the most grain, bread, and corn of any food category. Truth is, and then that's corn's- based on economics, oh. not nutrition. And corn because- in everything. Yes. Sorry. Because what do we grow here? Corn. Corn and soybeans. Yep. 
And that was the other one you demystified for me. Cause I used to work in this health food store way back in like 2008, 2009. And none of the women in the health food store would eat soy and always be like, why? And they wouldn't really tell me. They would just kind of be like, oh, I just don't feel like it's right for me. And I always wanted like a more concrete, specific answer. And you went through the whole science with soybeans and which ones and, and what, you know, is good for your person and, and how it all works and the whole history behind soy. Yeah, because soy can be super helpful and soy can also be detrimental for some people. And it's really just, as you said, it's about figuring out what's right for you and making your choices with full knowledge and full awareness. I think too often we hear sound bites like love them and hate them, Dr. Oz, right? Or we see something on Instagram or in the news, there's a headline. And so we have all of these sound bites, but it's not full information to be able to make healthful decisions for ourselves. And so you're helping us all make more healthful decisions. Yes, that's the goal. <laughs> but the truth is, right? I, I mean, I put the information out there. It's all you. Like, Jackie, you're the one who's taking the information and applying it to do, you know, to make a difference in your health. The information itself doesn't make a difference in your health. It's applying that and putting it into action that changes our health. And as a consequence, our weight. So I always start the sh my regular show asking about your very first gardening experience. Like, do you want to tell us about your very first, I don't know, food experience? I guess, well, that wouldn't be. Well, but gardening, I will say, as a kid, I do remember we had some planters on the deck. I grew up in Michigan. And I do remember we had planters on the deck and we would have like tomatoes, cucumbers, like very basic, you know, very small plants. But I do remember what it was. I mean, I ate vegetables growing up. I, I was a good eater. But I do remember a difference between eating the tomatoes that we grew and picked, <laughs> you know what I mean? And eating... The tomatoes yeah. that came from the grocery store. And even now, I can't even hardly bring myself to buy a tomato anymore. I'm just like, ah, if there's no, if we're not growing them or I can't get them locally or from the market, I'm just going to figure out a replacement for a tomato. Yeah. I do buy a lot of canned tomatoes. Sure. Canned food, frozen food are not the worst in the world depending on, of course, the sources. And often they are then canned or frozen at their best stage of life, which is different from what happens even with some fresh food in our grocery stores. Because, you know, I have to, the statistic is something like 2017, nearly 70% of our vegetables and 40% 40 40 of our fruit were imported. In 2015, it was 44% of U.S. fruits and vegetables. So that's the trajectory, right? 44, two years later, it's 70%. I mean, we're only going up. And what happens when our food is imported? It means that it's traveling a long distance to get to your grocery store shelf right? 
And in order for it to be pretty and for you to want to buy it when it's on your grocery store shelf, it means it has to be pulled from the vine well before it's actually ripe so that its perfect ripeness shows up on your shelf. Does that make sense? That makes total sense. And Mike was just yelling at me the other day about freezing our broccoli. And he's like, you want to freeze the broccoli when it's in its prime. Like, I just had this theory, like, I want to try to eat as much of it. And then as like right before it's going to go bad, that's when I'm going to freeze it because I didn't want to waste like the fresh. But he's like, there's fresh down in the garden. You should have froze the stuff because it's best in its prime. Exactly. So it makes double sense to me now. But I never thought about that. Like canned food, I think this is what you're going to say next, is picked and harvested and processed or frozen food in its prime. Is that exactly. what you're leading to? Yeah. Exactly. So I never thought of this. See, this is what I'm saying. Like you are, you just have all these bits of knowledge that are so important and that I have not learned. Well, thank you. I'm glad that it's helpful. And it comes down to, as always, like making the choices that are right for you in between your budget and your priorities and, you know, your goals and all of that kind of stuff. Because I'll admit it, I don't eat a ton of canned or frozen vegetables, and I make an effort to purchase organic and local as much as possible. But every now and then, you know, what's available isn't organic or local, and sometimes I have it. And that's why I also subscribe to the philosophy of we are all served by a very high quality multivitamin. Because even if we only ate the things that we are supposed to eat, right? Our nutrition just, our food just doesn't have the same nutritional value as it did, you know, for our grandparents. Yeah. I've been learning more about that, that even like, I just did, released an interview last week with a soil expert and she was talking about like the bricks, I guess it's called, which is like the nutrient density, like in the nutrient density of like food in the grocery store compared mm -hmm. to what you grow at home. And then she was talking about Patty Armbruster, who's like this woman on my show, everybody loves how high her kale was just like off the charts and just who knew that. But yeah, I totally think, I often wonder about that. Like, is that part of why it's so much easier for my mom? Because my mom's like this tiny little skinny woman. And then my brother and I are both these huge, super overweight people. And sometimes I wonder, is, is that part of it? Because she spent more of her life eating that she's just a better cook than both of us. Well, it's not, it's not even so much how you cook, but yes, I mean, the quality of our food over the years has dramatically changed. And she's exactly right. It comes down to, you know, the soil, the quality of the soil. Now that also assumes that our food is ripening on the vine because even if the nutrients are in the soil, which they're not really as, you know, your other guests talked about, but even if the nutrients were in the soil, but we're picking everything too soon, well, your food doesn't get any nutrients once it's no longer attached to the vine. It's not magic. Like they don't just appear in the food. It comes from the soil into the food. But if they're not connected to the soil, how would they get the nutrients from the soil? Or the so plant, right? And the plant doing its photosynthesis. Oh, I shouldn't even go here because biology is not my 
Right. But, but you're exactly right. It's, if it's not connected to the plant and the soil, it's not getting the nutrients, assuming the soil has the nutrients. And then as a function of, no, you know, re, remember back in the day, like crop rotation, which we don't really do anymore. But you, the at-home gardener, can focus on crop rotation and can focus on the quality of your soil and making sure that your soil has nutrients and things like that. So there's a tremendous argument for growing as much as you can yourself because then you know, right? Or as, you know, this is going out in my August newsletter, but about um, going to the farmer's market and talking to the farmer, you know, and asking all those kinds of questions. Yeah, because I like would normally assume that everybody at the farmer's market is an organic farmer, but that is not always the case. So it's super important that you ask these questions. And that's kind of our goal. Like Mike's goal with his mini farm is to grow as much of our produce so we can at least supplement. And like, it is so nice. Like finally, just like last week, I finally am at the point where I don't really have to go to the produce aisle. I can just skip on by it. Almost everything's coming out of our garden and we probably will be this way till November, if not longer this year. Like I have that's awesome growing and we're going to have, you know, we have an orchard with fruit trees and like, I mean, we did plant a lot of potatoes this year, but we have like, and we planted peas this year for the first time. Cause I usually buy a lot of frozen peas and then, but the green beans are coming on and we eat fava beans because fava beans are really good for building your soil. Um, there's a lot of, uh, it's like a cover crop in a lot of ways, but you also get the fava beans and we eat those, um, the night before last for the first time. And just, we have so much food coming up. Like I'm finally at that again. Yeah. It's so nice. And I feel so blessed. And Mike works so hard to do that. But, um, last summer we did not have that going. And so I had to buy a lot more produce and just even the spring, it's been really tough. Yeah. And I think that's where too, I think, you know, you're so fortunate to be able to have your garden and almost your you know, you have more than just a garden, right? If I, if my New Yorker version of a garden, right? What you have is a whole farm, <laughs> right? Um, well, that's what I thought till Patty came up here and she just shook her. I was like, do you think we have enough to go to market here? And she just shook her head and she's like, no, you guys aren't even close. You'd have to like, you know, cut down all these trees over here and like quadruple, which is what Mike has always said. And, you know, we might have a little bit extra here and there t- to share, but yeah, we're not yeah. anywhere near that. And that's where sharing with your neighbors and your friends who plant different things, you know, or uh, there was actually, this was centered around COVID and helping people in, you know, local communities. But there was a, a, I think it was almost like a Facebook group of people who lived geographically very close together. And it was people saying, hey, you know, I have extra whatever, who needs it? Or someone else could post, you know, crazy day, anybody have leftovers, you know, that I could feed my family for dinner. And people would do that. You know, it it was this very communal way of living. And so it, that's what occurred to me when you were talking about how, you know, you have extra, but maybe not enough to go to market. Like maybe there's something locally that can happen 
you know, to help everybody. Yeah. Well, I think that stuff's going on a lot. And like, I posted a picture of a five pound bag of Mike's potatoes the other day. And just to see what kind of like response we would get and people like way more people wanted them than we have potatoes for. So that might be, I've gone to the farmer's market before with like a, you know, cooler full of Swiss chard or something. We had lots of Swiss chard, but that's a Mm -hmm. hard sell. But I think the potatoes would go over better. But yeah, but there are definitely things like that popping up. I love that idea though of like leftovers and like different things like that. Like I never thought of it as more than just what's in the garden. Yeah. And I think it comes down to who's there and what could people use and who could use an extra hand and what does that look like? Exactly. Before we get to the root of things, we're going to thank our sponsors and affiliate links. You can find uh, Deer Fence Supplies on DeerBusters.com. We're located in Waynesboro, Pennsylvania. We ship nationwide for free. And if you want 10% off, type in the word fences, F-E-N-C-E-S at checkout on DeerBusters.com and save yourself some money while you're getting deer fence. And now let's get to the root of things. Well, tell listeners more about your podcast. Yeah. Um, So like you said, it's salad with a side of fries. The premise is wellness and weight loss for real life because you know, a lot of the diets out there that we've done work in the short term, but not long term. And actually long term can do more detriment than good. And then the other piece of the podcast is clearing up the misinformation, bad science and marketing that's wreaking havoc in wellness. So the objective is really to give you, as we talked about before, you know, give you the science and the data and the real information. And so that you have this framework of education from which you can then evaluate the thing you read in the news and the thing that you hear from a friend and what you see on Instagram and all these other sound bites. So that you can say, okay, how does that mesh with the science that I know to be true? Right. And then we have a different framework for understanding all this new information where we don't, therefore we don't have like shiny object syndrome when it comes to our health and our food plan, where every day, every week, it's a new thing. That sounds like me. (laughs) (laughs) And it's the one thing that I always share with people too, is like, if you've had challenges in the past, whether it's removing fat or keeping the weight off or, you know, trying a million diets and doing that yo-yo thing, like it's not your fault. The diet programs that are are out there have failed you. You haven't failed. And it's because, and I started taking a step back, I think any diet will work. And it's probably the opposite of what you think I'm going to (laughs) say, right? But any diet out there will work for you to lose weight. There are two questions to then consider. One is how long-term is that? And two, how healthful is it? Because a lot of the programs that are out there where we cut calories or cut out whole food groups or, you know, drastically do anything, basically, we lose that weight as water and muscle because our body in an effort to survive will feed on its own muscle. 
So to fuel itself, right? I mean, think about for those who eat animal protein, what's the part of the animal that we eat? The muscle. The muscle? Yeah. Right? We cut away all the fat. We don't want to eat the fatty parts. We eat the muscle. We don't eat the skin. We don't eat the bones, right? Maybe some of the skin, but like the part that we eat is the muscle. And so when we dramatically cut calories or cut out whole food groups, our body in an effort to survive uses its own muscle for fuel. And therefore we're losing weight. The number on the scale is going down, but we're losing muscle and water. Now that's detrimental because muscle is metabolically active, which means that now because what we did to lose that weight is not sustainable, right? We can't eat like a bird for forever, right? Or the assumption that we're never going to eat, in my case, a French fry, or we're never going to eat a cookie or even a piece of bread, right? The idea that we're never going to eat that ever again is ridiculous. So we've done that to lose the weight. We lost the weight as water and muscle. Now we go back to old eating habits because that wasn't sustainable. And now we're taking in this extra fuel and we have less muscle on our body to be burning it. And we start to gain the weight back. Now the number on the scale might get back to exactly the same number it was before. But when we look at body composition, what makes up that number, the second time you weigh that, your body fat is higher than the first time because we lost it as water and muscle, gained it back as fat. Lose it as water and muscle, gain it back as fat. So over time, by body composition, we might, we're actually fatter even at the same weight as the last time. See so why really- I say you make this stuff make sense? No, who <laughs> else says that? I've never heard anybody else say that. And yeah, I've heard well, you say this on the show, but I need to hear things repeated several times. We all do. We all need to hear it a bunch of times. And I think it's the reason why we don't hear it a lot is because it's not sexy. It's not what the diet industry wants you to know, <laughs> right? Even your nutritionist, right? A lot of dietitians and nutritionists make their living by you needing them. And so, you know, not all of them, but many. And so there's a lot of information that, you know, if everybody knew it is a little um, counterproductive for those industries, certainly for the diet industry. Yeah. You know, I always, I had this student last year in my third grade and he was always like, when I grew up, I'm going to be the boss. I'm going to be the boss. I'm just going to be the boss. And I was like, well, you know what? When you're the boss, your customers are your boss really, because you're not going to have a business if you don't keep your customers happy. And that's kind of what you're saying with the nutritionists. Like they need to keep their customers. They need to keep going. Sorry, Mm -hmm. off topic there. (laughs) No, but it's true. I mean, and, and you know, to your point, like with the diet industry, right? If they don't have customers, <laughs> right? So yeah, invested that's interest. what I'm saying. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. And like I said, it's just, it's not the sexy way to think about this. What's sexy, what appeals to people is fast results and dramatic results. 
And what happens when we do this for the long haul, and when we do it for the long haul, it's focusing on health. The weight loss becomes the byproduct, the side effect. And we're doing this in a way where we can sustain it forever. It really is a lifestyle shift, right? And when we do it that way, it can be a little bit slower and therefore less dramatic and less newsworthy, (laughs) you know, but it's real. So how does it work that like, what do you, like, what are, what are some things that you, like, one of the things I noticed, like when I went through your thing was like, there were like five servings of protein a day. I should be yep. trying to get like a serving of protein at breakfast and a shirt. And like when I went through and like, I don't know, I made like my own little chart off of the thing that you gave me to kind of like be like, all right, this is like what I have to plan for. I have to think about ahead of time. Like I need, and that that's kind of where I'm stuck. Like trying to think like, what is going to be my one serving snack protein? What is going to be my one serving of protein at breakfast? Like, like I'm trying sure. to like take the foods from the chart and plug them in there and like think like even for a week, like what would that look like? And that's where I'm stuck. Okay. I got you. And I know that that mine's the sure and steady. Like there's probably other ones out there. Or I don't know if like most people fit into this or. Yeah. And you know, to back this up for a second, we customize the menu plan for everybody. So what you did is what we call, you know, the weight loss profile which asks you some questions about your lifestyle, a little bit of medical history, your goals, your commitment level. And from there, we recommend the right menu plan. So your menu plan was sure and steady. And all of them though, across the board, we focus on protein and fiber at every meal, makes removing fat, no big deal. So protein is clean, lean protein, fiber is vegetables and sometimes fruit. And a meal is really every time you eat, meal or snack. The difference between a meal and a snack is just how much you have at a time, right? So that's where you were getting your five servings because you have three meals and two snacks on average. A serving of protein for a woman at a meal is four to six ounces. So we've all been taught that it's like just the palm of your hand. It's actually more like your whole hand. And then a snack is like two to three ounces. So less than the palm of your hand for a snack. But I would just never even think of eating a protein for a snack. Like that was like a big one for me. So what it might look like, yeah, exactly. So what it might look like as a snack is an apple with almond butter, right? The almond butter has probably about an ounce of protein maybe two, depending on how much you have, and some quality fat, and the apple is giving you your fiber. Maybe it's some turkey slices wrapped in, like I like to use romaine lettuce or bib lettuce or butter lettuce as a wrap almost. And so I'll put turkey in it, maybe a little bit of cheese if I'm feeling you know, decadent, and eat that as a snack. Maybe it's carrots and hummus. The hummus gives you a little bit of protein and a little bit of fat. And then your carrots and celery and vegetables are giving you your fiber. Oh, carrots and celery have fiber? 
all vegetables have fiber. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> we did talk about that earlier. See, <laughs> like, I don't know what's it going to take to get that through my thick head. Well, that's why, that's why, you know, when there's the podcast, right, which we talk about and we have these things every single week, but that's why I work with clients in a 12 week program because we do have to hear it. And it does take time to like learn a little something and implement it and learn a little something and implement it. You know, it helps when there is structure around it, you know, and accountability certainly helps as well. So we talked about snacks. Breakfast was your other question. So here's yeah, because crazy. I don't like to eat when I get up. Okay. And I find when I do eat, then I'm just famished the rest of the day. Which is a really good sign. Weird? It means oh. your metabolism is going. If we're hungry, right, it means our metabolism is burning. Our body is signaling us that it needs more fuel. Yeah. So see, but what I need to do is like stick to the hummus and celery sticks for snack instead of the chocolate chip cookies or the potato chips or what I am grabbing for. And this is funny because like, so with Greg's like um, automated virtual assistant thing where he's helping you build consistency last week, my thing was food prep. I was like, I need to be a consistent on food prep. And I totally failed. (laughs) And finally had to abandon the goal. I was like, I can't keep pressing in progress because I'm not getting in progress. Like I want to write, I wrote him. I was like, I want to write struggling. I'm struggling. Why can't I do this? I can't. But part of it's because I just don't have that vision. I can't figure celery and carrots is the, and hummus is going to be my trick. I, uh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I'm not big on food prep. I sort of feel like food prep is annoying and overrated, but that's for me. There, I have clients where they can't function in a week without their food prep. So it also comes down to what does that look like for you, right? What does food prep look like? So for you, food prep might look like just having carrots and celery chopped up in the refrigerator or having all of your vegetables and your fruit rinsed and cleaned and ready to go. So you can just grab it. That is exactly what I mean. I think the idea that food prep is you're pre-making all of your meals for the week and then you just heat something up, like that has never worked for me. Oh, no. I can't do that. I just, that's not my way. If that is yours, I am more power to you. I am in awe of you. (laughs) You know, I find it inspiring. And yet- For me, that never worked because when I would do that, then I get home and I look at what's in the fridge or, you know, I get home like when we had lives and we went anywhere, Um, you know. (laughs) Oh, I can't imagine what it's like to be in New York City during a pandemic. Like we are so blessed to be here and I am struggling like crazy. I, I don't even know what I would do if I was in the city. Yeah. Well, we're actually, New York is getting better every day and it's a great place to be right now. Um, but on the food prep front, like if I pre-made everything for my week, I'm the one who then opens the fridge and is like, but I don't feel like eating any of that. So it doesn't serve me. 
So I'm well, better. I'm with the pre-made of like cooked foods and like dinners, but it's the snacks and it's the celery sticks and the carrots. And like, you know, I have like a five minute break and I'm, I go and I open the fridge door and I'm like, oh, that carrot needs to be washed and peeled and cut up. And I don't want to do that right now. And I did listen to this great podcast by Angela Watson, who does a teacher thing. And she was talking about do all your prepping your vegetables right when you come home from the store. But my problem yep. I find is I'm exhausted when I get home from the store and that is the last time I want to do it. So, so that didn't maybe work for me for either. You, yeah, but the idea is still there. So maybe for you, it's not right after the grocery store. Maybe it's, you know, Monday, you end your day at six o'clock and your commitment is six to 6.30, you're cleaning and washing the fruits and vegetables in your fridge. Or, I mean, and it's different because you having everything in your garden is very different than those of us who go to a grocery store or these days have a delivery from the grocery store. And that happens maybe once a week or once every two weeks or something. So it might just mean blocking out the time in your calendar and saying, this is my activity for these 30 minutes. I think you're right about that. Like, cause I was filling out Greg's like habit stacking chart. And I was like, I realized like when I went through it, like I went through my whole week and I'm like, all right, there's a hundred and whatever many hours in a week. And I sleep for eight of them and I do this and I do that. And like, I got the whole thing worked out. And I'm like, cool. And then I'm like, wait, you only put 20 minutes for eating, but you forgot cooking and processing yep. the food. And so then I had to go back through again and I haven't done that part. And then what was the other one I left out? Big one that I spent a lot of time. Laundry. My trip to the laundromat once a week. And like there's all mm -hmm. these little things. You think there's like all these hours. But then when you start like looking at it, you're like, oh, yeah, I forgot this. And oh, yeah, I forgot that. And so I've been trying to figure out, yeah, I think, but you're right. I do need to like make a commitment to when am I going to do that food prep? But also right. what does it look like? But you're helping me a lot by figuring out that's a big part of what it's going to look like. And then I go back and forth with like the making the hummus and buying hummus. Cause I always feel like buying hummus is so expensive, but then when you actually buy all the parts to make it, it's super expensive anyway. So. Well, where are your priorities? And I say that in so far as, is it worth the time, effort, and energy to make it yourself? Do you enjoy the process? Is it going to make you eat the hummus more because you put in the effort to make it. Or, which is often the decision that I make, is that my time is better spent elsewhere and just having the hummus ready to eat. Because the difference between a can of chickpeas and a ready-made hummus is eating it versus not eating it, right? Making the healthful choice versus not because the can of chickpeas is not convenient. Or what I always, what happens to me more often is like, I buy the $10 jar of tahini to mix with the garbanzo beans or the chickpeas. And then if I don't use that whole thing at tahini, then I don't make the next batch of hummus in time. And then the tahini goes bad. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this $10 bottle of tahini has gone bad. But, yeah. or So I have been kind of like making bigger batches and just making and, and trying to eat it more. But I don't mm -hmm. know. It's always a process, right? 
Exactly. And you said it. I mean, the idea of it being a process in all of this, whether it's learning how to garden and what you're going to grow. And, you know, this year you learned, you know, a couple new vegetables, right? And then next year you're like, you know what I'm going to try now because I can learn something new again. I'm going to try this other thing this year. It's the same thing when it comes to our health. And I think it's one of the biggest challenges and one of the biggest mistakes in traditional diets is that we show up week one, right? We get all the rules and we try to implement all the things at the same time. And then it becomes overwhelming and it's really hard and it's too much to think about and we can't think about anything else and we give it up entirely. Yeah. And that's part of why I love your program because you send one recipe and like, and like a nutrition tip and it's like, it's gentle and you can, and you can absorb it and you can be like, oh, this recipe works really good. And then it can become part of my rotation or maybe this recipe didn't work so good. So I'm not gonna worry about that one, but most of them, I love them. Oh, good. Yeah. It's, and that's the whole thing. It's, um, small steps and the same direction leads to huge distance over time. That's so true. Uh, yeah. Well, anything else you want to share with us? That, like, is there anything you want to talk about that I haven't asked about? Or I don't. I didn't necessarily have an agenda. I just want to say, like, keep gardening, everybody, and keep doing what you can because. What you're providing for yourselves and your family and your communities is the best source of food and the best source of nutrition and the best thing we can do for our health is, you know, growing organic and growing local and eating that. Um, so thank you for all that you do for your audience and everybody out there because it's, it really makes such a difference when it comes to the quality of our food. Well, thank you so much for being such an awesome guest and for your awesome podcast and teaching all of us so much. And just, I love your nutrition bites and I love everything that I learned from you. And like, you're one of those ones that I can't binge on enough. Well, thank you. I am honored to be in that category. Well, thank you. Well, you have a great day and enjoy New York in the summer. Thank you. Yeah. Last thing I would just say, everybody, is reach out to me. I want to hear what's interesting to you, what questions you have. Uh, so you can find me, of course, Salad with a Side of Fries podcast and Instagram or Facebook at Jen Trepek, J-E-N-N-T-R-E-P-E-C-K. Thanks again, Jackie. Thanks, Jen. What's the best gardening advice you've ever received or best farming advice you've ever received? Always keep very very meticulous records. Um, you may think you're going to remember how long it took something to germinate or <laughs> how quickly something flowered and fruited or how much you harvested. And you'll say, yeah, I remember that. This. This, this is totally something that I'm going to remember in, you know, four to six months. Um, and that's never the case. Um, you're not going to remember what day it was. You're not going to remember how much. A lot of things are going to fall by the way. You'll forget a thing or two. And keeping really meticulous records is a, is a good way um, to plan for the next season. Uh, like I was talking about earlier, um, it all comes down to good planning. Um, it's really, really helped. It's really, really helpful to keep track of what works and what doesn't. Um, like I could not tell you, especially once it gets like super busy in the middle of the season, I couldn't tell you what I was doing on July 15th of last season if I didn't have a notebook to look back to. 
That's from my interview number 222 with Gabe Siciliano, another rockstar millennial who says his notes are crucial. Don't you want to get a journal? Hey, listeners. Do you have a place to keep track of everything that's going right in your garden and everything that's not quite going the way you thought it was going to and the things that you don't want to forget next February and March? Because I guarantee you, you're going to think, I am never going to forget this. I have done this 20 times this year and I'm going to make sure I do it right next year. And next March, you're going to be like, oh yeah, what was that again? By the time you're done harvesting everything and your season is over, there's nothing more important you can do than be taking notes now. Which seeds worked the best? Which areas do you want to change? Where do you want to put your irrigation? Where do you need to get row cover? Like all those little notes that are going through your mind. Like even if you just write in your journal once a week, just go sit in your garden and be like, oh yeah, this or that, or you could keep it with you. But anyway, my point is, hey, do you want to help the Green Organic Gardener podcast? Because I made a beautiful journal. It's got a butterfly on a lilac that I took a picture of so you could have a piece of your garden, our garden, in your garden, a place to keep your notes. It's got, uh, I think, 135 um, pages that are either blank or lined because those are my favorite kind of journals because I like to have the lines to write and the blank pages. And so you can support the show, but most of all, you can have good records. My guests have said frequently that's their favorite tool, most valuable tool, good records, Um so, and it would support the show. Do you know someone who would benefit from the Organic Gardener podcast? If you like what you hear, we'd love it if you'd share the Organic Gardener podcast with a friend. Thanks again for listening and remember, grow local.